The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm not going to say if you want to run with the Game Changers. I'm going to say if you want to ride with the Game Changers because this is the future of cars with Game Changers Radio. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We have our three, I think they're regular panelists. They're here with us all the time. Heather Ashton and Otto Shell and Larry Stoley. I'll tell you more, but let me tell you what our topic is today. The buzz on the street all the way back in the old days when Pythagoras was ruling. And if those of you remember your math in high school, you'll know who that was. Friendship. Share all things. Let's just let that sit for a while. So the question of the day is, can data collected from connected and autonomous vehicles actually be monetized? We talk about the data. How do you collect it? It's coming in. Who gets to look at it, analyze it? What are they going to do with it? Is it worth anything? Who owns the data? So many questions. Well, McKenzie is weighing in on this. And McKenzie projects that the value of this data could come to, put your seatbelts on, $1.5 trillion. U.S. dollars by the year 2030, and it could become a key focus area for the current automotive industry as we know it, question mark, question mark, as well as for new entrants. Well, you know, the high-tech giants want to dip their toe into this roadway and the startups and the service providers, and it's getting crowded out there. The challenges are the same for everybody in this field, in this arena, or if you're a typical car company, anything to do with automotive, or you're a new player, you have to understand the business impact of data ownership issues. Who does it really belong to? The person sitting in the car whose, whose data is being picked up, the behavior of the car, the person, is it the car manufacturer, is it a software manufacturer? And then here comes a little sticking point. The customer's willingness or lack thereof to share that data for data-enabled services and features. So we've got a little bit of a potential push-me-pull-you here. Again, I want to tell you who our panelists are before we get started introducing them with their quotes. Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. Heather is back for the umpteenth time, and we're delighted to have her. Joined by Otto Shell, Global SAP Business Architect and SAP Center of Excellence Lead at GM. He's our one of our car guys. And rounding out the panelists, the sponsor of the series, Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. Welcome to the panel. And let's start off with Heather. She sent me a quote interesting from Helen Keller. Now, people my age group remember Helen very well. There was a movie with her, and I can't think of the name of who her teacher was. I know Annie was the teacher, but the actress, I don't think it was Patricia Neal, but Heather will help me in a minute. Helen Keller lived from 1880 to 1968. She was an American author, 
political activist, lecturer, and she was deaf and blind. She was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. Anne Sullivan was her teacher, that's right. And Anne Sullivan miraculously broke through the isolation. Helen Keller had almost a complete lack of knowledge, and she became a major communicator. She lived in Alabama, and there's a museum, and there's an actual annual Helen Keller Day on her birthday, June 27th. She was well-spoken, well-traveled, and she was one of 12 inaugural inductees to the Alabama Writers Hall of Fame on June 8, 2015. Gives me chills. Here is the quote from Helen Keller. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Oh, Heather Ashton, what a gorgeous quote. I've got goosebumps. How are you, Heather? Very well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm well. You know how I am. I'm I'm tingling here because this is the quote. Just makes you think, Heather. Do you remember the movie The Miracle Worker? I do actually. Yes, and I remember reading biographies in school about Helen Keller, and you'll be happy to know that they still do that today. My daughter, my youngest, is um, in seventh grade, and I believe in fourth or fifth grade she read about Helen Keller. So it's a, it's wow. a miracle story. It, it is a beautiful miracle story, and I'm looking up to see who the, uh, let's see who was, Anne Bancroft, of course, and Patty oh, right. Duke, the recently departed Patty Duke played Helen Keller. Oh, what a movie. Oh, my goodness gracious. Be still my heart. So, you picked this quote for a very good reason. Why don't you tell us why? Because we're talking about connected cars, autonomous vehicles, data, data, data. So, we're talking about better than, no, nothing better than, worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. How does this relate to our topic, Heather? Sure. Um, it really has to come down to what we've been um, seeing a lot in the past several years in the in industry is this whole notion of, wow, we can collect all this data. We can put sensors on everything. Look what we can collect. Look what we can find out. But if you don't have uh, analytics or an ability to actually, you know, mine that data, then it's not worth anything to you. So again, site. Sure, put sensors everywhere, collect data, that gives you sight, but it doesn't give you vision. It doesn't give you the ability to take action on the data, which is really what we're talking about here and which is really what needs to happen from an autonomous vehicle and a connected car perspective is to be able to take action on the insights that you're getting from that data. So, Heather, one question for you before I go to Auto Shell. Whose vision is this? Is it the customer, the consumer, the rider, the driver, or the one who paid for the car and is sitting somewhere in it without a wheel, perhaps, in the future? Is it their vision about, yes, I want to be part of culture in a new way and share my data? Is it the vision of the app May app creators? Is it the vision of the manufacturers? Is it the vision of the bankers waiting to cash in or the investors or the speculators? Whose vision are we talking about or a little bit of everyone's? Well, I'm going to take the easy answer, right? A little bit of everyone's. But I do think in the early stages, the visionaries are those that are within the industry, the manufacturers, the, the partners, supplier, that whole ecosystem. Because I think that a lot of the, you know, standard consumers don't necessarily have the, haven't really thought through much, right? What they'd like. Of course, as we all know, a consumer, once they see something they don't like, they, they'll tell you. But I, I do think it's the industry that's kind of serving up a lot of these opportunities for you know, what they think the consumers are going to want or like. Thank you very much, Heather. Pleasure to have you back. And now let's turn to Otto Shell, our friend from GM. And Otto says a quote he sent me from James Dean, very dynamic, dramatic, handsome young man, left us way too early. He only lived from 1931 to 55. James Byron Dean was an American actor. He is a cultural icon of teenage disillusionment and social estrangement, as expressed in the title of this film that was most celebrated 
in his short career, Rebel Without a Cause, way back in 1955. He was the troubled teenager Jim Stark. Other two roles that defined his stardom, he played loner Cal Trask in East of Eden the same year he was busy, and he played a surly ranch hand named Jet Rink in Giant. Uh, they say that his premature death in a car crash, and hence uh, the quote I'm going to give you was very ironic, cemented his legendary status. He was the first actor to receive a posthumous Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. Very, very interesting. Uh, the American Film Institute ranked him the 18th best male movie star of the golden age of Hollywood. Very, very interesting. And here is the quote that Otto has picked from James Dean. Take it easy driving. The life you save might be mine. Wow, for so many reasons. Otto Shell, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing very well, and uh, you can't imagine why I picked this quote, because it's it's really <laughs> contradictory to what happened to him. Let's assume at this time, uh, when James Dean and others have their accidents, we would have all the information predictive perceived out of the cast. Maybe it could have been avoided. Maybe he could have seen or could have, have a call that something is not going okay with his car. Maybe even that there would have been a speed control to him saying you are driving more, you are in a connected city and you are driving more than you are allowed. So that's why I took this. Yeah, so <coughs> in a positive uh, way me. would have made safe his life. Otto, talk to me about some recent in the news high profile cases where a driverless car didn't make it and uh, some accidents are happening and the question is how safe is the technology so take it easy driving in that case with connected autonomous cars auto we're not talking to a person anymore we're talking to an app yeah, and a machine is, um, but, uh, I think of course there's a lot of notion right now and, and uh, let's be really serious about this if something happens to a person that's not a good thing on the other side, the, the technology is brand new. It's not mature. Yeah. So when you when you know how long it really takes to bring technology on the street, yeah, and how fast it's now going uh, in in the examples we have recently seen, it's not mature. So what what is really the, the difference? What what is really today when you put it for a test on the street and what not? Yeah. How, how do you put it on a line which is not frequently traveled, or do you put it in real traffic? So this is always, and I think this is part of humans to take risk. Yeah. Unfortunately, something happens, and you don't hear what not happened. Yeah. So um, yeah. I think uh, we, we we need to go in a much much more maturity level, but the question is, and when we go through this, uh, this uh, coffee talks, is what is in, and I strongly believe there is in much more than it's out. Thank you, Otto. I, I have to tell, before we bring on Larry Stolle, I have to tell you, I, I recently interviewed an author, a former corporate CEO who decided he wanted to write novels. I will tell you his name as soon as I remember it in a minute. I just interviewed him on my personal radio show a week ago. He wrote a book called Dark Matters, and it's a future novel, novel in the future, um, a couple of decades forward, about an age of extreme wealth inequality. And the opening scene is the CEO of a major corporation 
is driving his $8 million driverless car that is not only driverless, there is no steering wheel. There is really not even a front seat. He's just, his family are just in this vehicle. And he's going over a roadway in Long Island. This is just the opening. I won't give away the rest of it, but Dark Matters is about Dark Matters. And uh, he's passing over a bridge in the Dunes area on his way to the Hamptons on Long Island. And as he goes over the bridge, he realizes the car is not following the prescribed route. It is not making adva- making whatever it needs to adjustment for this tiny bridge over the water. And in an instant, he flashes and he realizes what happened. Somebody reprogrammed the car and he knows he and his family are going to die instantly. And his last words are, the bastards. I'll just leave it. It's a very exciting novel. <laughs> he raised money on Kickstarter to finance the publishing of the book and did very, very well. I'll get you his name in a few minutes. But anyway, Otto, interesting? Yep. Yep. <laughs> it happened also with old navig- this happens also with old navigation system 10 years ago that you end in a dead end. Yeah, because the, it, it was not mature. Yeah, so, yeah, it's part of the life living with technology. That's right. And this, people hit the, yeah, I, I don't know how much people hit the street lamp because they are looking now at Pokemon. Yeah? There you go. You and his, his name was uh, Michael Costa is the name of the author. Very interesting book. But it's, yeah. these things are yeah. so controllable that somebody can just take over and do what they want with your car. Very, very scary. Larry Stoley, on that note, I'm pleased to welcome you back. This is your series. Delighted to have you. Rumor has it you're still on vacation. So there. And nice of you to poke in for the show. And Larry has sent me an interesting quote from a gentleman named Arthur Schopenhauer, a German philosopher way back, 1788 to 1860. His work in 1818, The World as Will and Representation, has been described as an exemplary manifestation of philosophical pessimism that inspired other greats such as Tolstoy, Einstein, Freud, Mahler, Jung, and more. Okay, so we'll just leave it at that. Here is the quote Larry has selected from Mr. Schopenhauer. The alchemists, in their search for gold, discovered many other things of greater value. Larry, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. So where are you? You're on vacation somewhere? Is it someplace fabulous, gorgeous? No, actually, I'm at home. We actually traveled last week and returned home on Sunday, so I'm doing absolutely nothing this week. Except appearing on the radio and picking a great quote. So (laughs) welcome back. So tell me something. Uh, How did you discover this quote from Arthur Schopenhauer, who lived, uh, oh, I don't know, 150 years ago? Where did this come from? Well, Schopenhauer is a strange guy. He, He was... Very, very much a pessimist. Einstein said something about him. You know, you can do what you will, but you cannot will what you want. And Schopenheimer was was very much um, aligned with that. I mean, Einstein drew that from from Schopenheimer. The the reality is that we've been getting sensor data from vehicles, excuse me, for, for many, many years. And we've always been trying to figure out how to make money from it or how to deliver value and so on and so forth. And, you know, sometimes when we look at data, we don't see the forest for the trees. So the relevance of Schopenheimer's quote was, alchemists in search for gold discovered many other things of greater value. So buried in all this data we get, buried in everything we receive and analyze and so on, is probably value far beyond what we expect to be looking for. And that kind of goes back to to what Heather said 
uh, about vision. Keep your eyes open because what you see may not really be where the real value is, the whole forest and the trees kind of thing. So this one is very, very relevant as we walk down the path of trying to figure out where the value is, where the money is, and data coming from connected vehicles and the things they do. So, so Larry, I'm going to ask you a silly question. You've heard the expression in the Western, there's gold in them, our hills. So we should say, could we say there's gold in them, our connected cars? Is that valid? Is that something that uh, the miners, if you will, are sitting on the sidelines and rubbing their hands together and saying, aha, we're going to get it? What do you think? I absolutely agree with that. I believe that's a very, very true statement. But I think the key thing that we have to realize is it takes some real looking to find that value, if you will, that you can monetize across the broad universe of of customers and drivers and so on and so forth. It's just not always obvious. The same as gold was never always obvious in the side of a mountain. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly right. But they knew it was there. They knew it was there. There's the vision that Heather was talking about in her quote, uh, having sight but no vision. Yes, that's the vision. Thank you, Larry. Welcome back and welcome back. Now, let's find out where everybody else is and what they're all drinking today. This is our little segment, our storytelling segment called What's in Your Cup Today. So, Ms. Heather Ashton, where art thou and what are you drinking that makes you smile today or later after the show? I am in Newtown, Pennsylvania, actually, at a, uh, an industry analyst event um, at SAP, actually. So I, I'm missing, missing Larry um, slowly, but I had a wonderful dinner last night. And um, I actually, nothing exciting except I learned a little German. Um, Spoodle is how you pronounce club soda. I wanted to order sparkling water, and <laughs> I was told that was the word. And I'm very excited because we had this whole conversation then about basically German and how, um, you know, the, the German-speaking guests that I was with argued that it's a much more direct language. You know, why say two words when you can say one? So I appreciated learning that. I learned something new about, um, you know, club soda and sparkling water. It's spoodle. So that's what I will be ordering from now on in restaurants. I like that. We have to ask Otto Shell. Did she pronounce it appropriately, Otto? Spoodle is correct. Yeah. Got her. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Heather. I had I to, to ask. Work. I need to work. See, I need to it was a, down. It was a per, you and Otto can uh, meet uh, later uh, and, uh, and have a little tutorial uh, there. Otto, actually, sh- <laughs> yes. Actually, it's uh, the, the long version is also sparkling water, Sprudelwasser, but everybody in Germany <laughs> understands Sprudel is what we want to get, right? <laughs> there we go. Thank you for that, Otto. Speaking of whom, where are you today? I think you're in Germany. Tell us where, what, what, what's the weather, and what are you drinking? I'm on the 13th floor in the Renaissance Center in Detroit at General Motors. So I'm, um, I traveled the last couple of weeks based on our project. So I went to South America. I was last weekend in Nashville at the conference. Now I'm here in Detroit. And what should I drink? I drink coffee. <laughs> And for that, there's no coffee with sprudel. Sometimes I take, really, don't, no joke, sometimes I take a little bit soda and put coffee in because I don't like really water without any taste. But at the moment, oh. I'm having my hot coffee. So you take the soda and you make it coffee-flavored soda, not the other way around. Yeah. yeah, yeah I was hoping I, it I wasn't the other around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know also some people taking hot coffee and put some ice in so that they immediately can drink it, but that's not right. my style. I, I, I like it hot and cold, you know. 
Now, question, Otto, do you, do you flavor the coffee first? Do you put sugar or cream or anything in it before you pour it into the soda? Um, yeah, sometimes, uh, no, normally when I put it in soda, I keep it black so that you have just a little bit taste of coffee in your soda. No? So I need to taste it. Yeah. So, but in general, before I, when I take coffee normally, I put uh, sugar or something, I, I put sweetener in or something flavor, so, but just a little bit. As, as, as older I get, as more it gets black. Aha, like thank you. Like with wine, most people start with sweet wine and they end with very dry wines. Well, that's something I can look forward to. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I think I think I'm in the middle phase there. No comments, please. And Larry, what are you drinking now that you're sort of kind of back from vacation, but not really back to work? Well, my schedule is is all turned upside down. There's no routine to it. So this morning, instead of coffee, I'm drinking cold caffeine. I'm drinking Coke. And that's just the way it is. So I have uh, bubbles, I have uh, carbonation, I have caffeine, I have flavor, I have dark, I have everything. Oh, my goodness. You're a happy man. So we've yeah. got a little bit of everything across the board, and you all know I'm drinking water. Cool, clear. What do we got? we got a green straw. That's the only one left in the, in the office, actually. We have a green straw, and the green stands for, you know what, we're talking about discovering value in the data in them, their connected cars, to coin a couple of phrases and mix and match them. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very happy to be here on the Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio, speaking with Heather Ashton and Otto Shell and Larry Stoley, my terrific trio here of experts on everything automotive. We're going to take a quick break and come back with a lot more and find out about friends sharing all things. My quote from the erstwhile Pythagoras in terms of when will customers decide if and when and how much they want to share the data that they are helping to create in their connected cars. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The future of cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. And here we are, and I think it's fair to say the future of cars is here or almost here on a roadway, a driveway, or a garage near you. We're speaking today with Heather Ashton at IDC, Auto Shell at GM, and Larry Stoli at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for the rest of the hour. Heather Ashton, IDC Manufacturing Insights, is going to start off our roundtable. I'm looking at her notes, and we're going to talk bigger than just any one person's garage or driveway or uh, what's sitting at the curb outside your house or your building. So Heather has said to me in her notes, as we move to a sharing economy where fleets of consumer vehicles will be managed by an entity, there's a lot for Heather to explain here, there will be parallel opportunities for data intelligence and insight to capitalize. And we're going to talk a little bit about Uber on steroids. So Heather, why don't you expand and explain and let's get started, please. Certainly. Um, so that you know, the power of the group is greater than than the power of one. Um, you know, that's a common sort of nomenclature. And I would argue that that is really where we're going to see a lot of the value out of connected cars is that ability for vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure um, to communicate con- consistently. So we talk about um, you know the fleets of cars that are they essentially become sensors in and of themselves within a city setting, for example. So they can actually uh, monitor and understand and transmit roadway conditions. They can transmit traffic. Um, we have some dis- interesting things. Uh, we just I just did a planscape with our smart cities analyst, Ruth B. Clark, and the whole notion of mm-hmm. being able to do this real time to be able to, if there's an, an accident or an event, to be able to time the, um, the traffic lights so that the emergency vehicles can get through more quickly. But again, all of these, the fleet or the, you know, kind of the whole kind of herd of cars will be able to kind of act intelligently together to kind of transmit data and, and make for a safer and better roadway. Very interesting. Ruth B. has been on another one of our shows, Heather. I don't know if you're aware. She was on Game Changers, and I think she's coming back in a couple weeks on Coffee Break. So tell me about Uber on steroids. What's the projection? I know we're not in our crystal ball predictions round yet, but you say here the very nature of shared transportation services will lend themselves to further monetization opportunities, quote-unquote Uber on steroids. What's that all about? And then we'll, we'll get Otto and Larry to, to chime in. Excellent. Yeah, sure. So it really is, if you look at what some of the automakers have done, GM with its investment in Lyft. And so I do think that car ride, car sharing, car ride sharing um, programs are going to become one of the ways to monetize the connected cars. And I think we're going to see a number of different players, um, including automotive OEMs, kind of getting in the game. And I was mentioning um, a very interesting anecdote is if you think about cities again and their infrastructure, what their needs are. Um, I just read an article the other day that Washington, D.C. is considering um, adding Uber as an alternative to uh, ambulance services because they've had such an increase in 911 emergency calls and they don't have the they don't have the infrastructure they don't have enough vehicles to respond so you can imagine all the different types of opportunities that are there I, I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely. Well, I, I'm sitting here shaking. We were all bubbly and fizzy with the drinks about three minutes ago, and now I'm shaking. Let's let's get Otto's input and then Larry Stoli. Otto, fleets of cars, sensors reporting road conditions, traffic, and Uber on steroids as an ambulance. So, what do you think about all this, Otto? Otto Shell, are you with us? Larry Stoli, why don't you jump in? Yeah, We're having trouble getting I'm on, Otto. I'm, on, oh. I'm okay. I'm with you. So I was talking to myself, so I'm already connected. I so hope you yeah. had a good conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, I totally agree with what I said. So it's okay. <laughs> no no contention there. Yeah, no. But the point is, 
it's really yeah. So the um, the Ubers are showing what you can do when you use data in the right way. Yeah, and certainly um, there is a lot of movement not only in the auto industry. So putting a car, as Heather said, into a kind of sensoric model, making cars mobility platforms helps also to go much deeper into into production scales because you connect then also production into this, you connect after sales into this and 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 so the entire customer experience. But on the other side, uh, you also connect uh, cars and the people in the car into an environment which we call city, which we call government and 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 so. All these opportunities, you, you see some small pieces. Yeah? So you see the peak of the iceberg of opportunities with business models Uber is using, but also what other car manufacturers are using to get their cars connected, to get Wi-Fi into the cars. So we just see the peak of the iceberg. And why do we only see the peak at the moment? The entire end-to-end process, yeah? what does it really mean being autonomous? It's just in some of our heads on, on, on some test floors, but it's, it's not shown anywhere from end-to-end. So uh, more to come here, but I think that the, the tendency is going into the right direction. Connect what you want, and going back to my quote uh, about James Dean, I, I see this in a very, very positive way. Very interesting. Larry Stoli, are you shaking your boots about the idea of of a steroidal Uber ambulance? And uh, what about the data coming from fleets and the sensors? Larry? No, I I mean, I I see no reason to fear anything here. One of the interesting things that I think about in all this goes back to our question about who owns data. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's always a good question. But you know what? I think at the end of the day, this is going to be an extremely moot point. Uh, like Pythagoras, you know, we're all going to share it. We're all going to share it and mm-hmm. share alike. And we're going to do that, you know, subconsciously. We're going to do it unintentionally. We're going to do it intentionally. 71% of people in the world today consciously share their data in exchange for some value. So, and that's a McKinsey number. And, you know, honestly spoken, I think the whole data ownership thing will will kind of go away as a discussion topic to support all the things that we're talking about, the Uber on steroids, the connected vehicle fleets, et cetera, et cetera, the customer value, and so on and so forth. I think it'll all become a moot point. I think we'll have very serious road bumps uh, when there are exceptions, when that data goes wrong, the use of that data goes wrong. But I think those will be resolved just as anything else is resolved in the world. The whole notion of data ownership will just kind of go away and we'll become very expectant of sharing that data and deriving group benefit from that data. Interesting. Uh, Heather, I want to circle back to you. I'd love to get your POV, agree or disagree with what Larry just said. I totally agree with it, Larry, with your statement of the sort of the group, deriving group value from the data. I think that is where um, you're going to see the greatest returns or the greatest potentials. And um, I didn't, you know, talk about it, but you can look to the sort of fleet management and some of the, um, some of what's being done on the commercial side to understand how you can gain group benefits, again, from understanding and identifying, you know, what's going on with the cars or the vehicles, how they're being used 
overutilized, underutilized, what can be done to, you know, kind of optimize their performance. So that requires, you know, group, right, aggregation of the data and collection and, and applying it to the group as a whole. So I do think that we're, you know, that is where the benefit really lies versus just the one-on-one or the one-to-one, you know, type of um, relationship. Interesting. I, I think you're all familiar with uh, something that was offered by, <clears throat> excuse me, started to be offered by insurance companies, at least here in the U.S. Otto, you may know about this. A couple of years ago, they said, if you want a reduction in your automobile insurance rates, we're going to have some kind of a sensor in your car that will tell us what your actual behavior as a driver is, how you stop at red lights, how fast or slow you go in certain types of traffic. And if we see that there are certain behavior, we'll give you a reduction. Reduction, and I said, no, thank you. Larry, does that make me not a good sharer? <laughs> does that make me a selfish you-know-what? Uh, because I didn't, I, I'm a good driver. I hardly drive the car's garage 95% of the time because I'm, I'm chained to SAP radio here. But the question is, Larry, am I unusual that I didn't want to share that simple amount of data with my insurance company? So you say more and more people will just do it. What do you well, think? You How know, soon? Honestly spoken. Bonnie, I, I don't think that makes you difficult at all. I think it says you're cautious. And I think that's exactly where we need to be, it is have some degree of caution. You know, perfection doesn't just happen. Perfection doesn't just happen. It evolves. So as you're being cautious, we're learning how to do the things that we thought we could do, to do the things we dreamed of doing with that data and so on. And the fact that you're cautious with it in the early phases actually mm-hmm. is, is a very, very positive thing because it makes us take pause and understand what people are really thinking, what their fe- uh, feelings are, what their fears are, what their aspirations are. So I, I see it as all part of a, a very flowing ecosystem of data, data ownership, data sharing, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think it's just, like I said, perfection doesn't happen. You know, it's an, it's an evolution, and that's just part of the evolutionary process. Thank you very much. Otto, any thoughts on this before I move to some topics in your list today, Otto? Any thoughts on uh, sharing or not to share your data from your car if you have the option? Yeah, the, the question I always raise at this point, what is the holy secret data you want to keep for yourself? And then people start saying, and you don't get an answer because somehow everything is already shared. So my point is more or less, is there a button which I can switch off to be at least a little bit remote? Okay. I, I guess it's a question of maybe it's just a false pride. Uh, I'm a good driver, but I just don't want somebody sending me a report and saying, well, we could tell there was a traffic light coming ahead on Lakeville Road and you stopped a little bit too close and you should have gone a little slower and we're not going to reduce your rates because we observed that you were doing 62 and a 55 on the LIE at 5 o'clock on Saturday, the 9th of August. I don't know. Heather, would that bother you? Is that what they had in mind? <laughs> I'm laughing because I actually, I am one of those new new tech people that always have to be like sign myself up to be one of the first testers so I did <laughs> participate in a program and I had the OBD2 dongle sent to me and it was progressive insurance for six months they tracked my maybe it was four months they tracked my uh conditions and I or my behavior and yes. I only received a four percent discount as a result and I know they promise up to maybe 15 or 20 percent discount so because wow. of my 
hard braking. So to your point, I never speed. I'm very, but I, when you're in and out of traffic all the time, which I, which I tend yeah. to be around town and I'm, there's hard braking has to happen because, so I don't hit the car in front of me. <laughs> so Thank you. I was very disappointed that that was the, you know, kind of the end result. But, um, but uh, to your point, it just is interesting. I think that it, it was an interesting experiment for me to participate in. Um, and, and I was a little disappointed at the outcome. <laughs> Well, you're my poster child for the the dongle in the car for reporting back to the... So there you go. As basically, I'd like to say, I don't need that blank, 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 four-letter word. So did you take it out? Did you stop being a part of it? So they they only actually capture it for so long, and then they actually stop and have you send it back. So I believe that's a cost perspective from the you know for them to be collecting all of that data. They they do a trend analysis right based on that and your behavior, and and just go from there. So um, so I'm no longer participating. Yeah. Well, you know something that might work for me because since the car is garaged and rarely leaves this place, it might prove yeah, to them true. that I'm not driving 7,500 miles a year. I may be driving 1,500 at the most, maybe 900 a year. Maybe that would be the way to prove it, Heather. What do you think? That might actually, I think that might be a good idea, actually. And you don't have a teen driver in your house like I did who enjoys hard braking. So. Ah, <laughs> got it. Problem. No, they're all, they're all gone. They're responsible for their own insurance now. And my granddaughters are driving now, but not, not in the state. Okay. Thank you very much for that little side road. No pun intended. <laughs> Otto Shell, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's talk about, I talked about new entrants into the automotive industry in my opening. So let's go there. You say car manufacturers, we do not yet know. Tell me about the German post office acquiring the manufacturing side of a small electric car and the question who else will produce vehicles of mobility what's the story there Otto and then we'll have Larry and Heather react go ahead yeah the story is uh, very simple so a couple of weeks ago I was on a so called production research conference where we gave together a benchmark to the minister of uh, research and during the keynotes and during all the discussion, uh, there were a lot of companies, but also university. Um, there was a representative from the University of Aachen, and they were uh, part of a research program uh, to produce more or less small electro vehicles, which can be used for transport more or less in a very simplified uh, fabric environment, production environment, mm-hmm. including 3D printing and all this kind of technology. So what at the end they did is they uh, produced a very, very small car. It's like uh, you may know from Italian movies, the Pijao, so the, the, where you can put something on, and it, it was ready to go on the street. So it's not autonomous, it's a very simple electro car. But it seems to fulfill the need of some inner, inner city transport of, of Deutsche Post. And what happened is that in principle they acquired this test center one to one and now they are producing around about 2000 mini cars yeah, in a, with the new technology, very simple robotics including um, electro engines. And that is something which is at the moment, not really disrupting when you see how much million cars are produced, but that you can stand up uh, a factory, that you can stand up new technologies, that you produce something which you can really put on the street in a, in a very short time, considering how long the established OEM took to get all this knowledge. I think this is interesting, 
And uh, I think we have to observe what does it take uh, others to come up with ideas. No? So I don't want to brain too much about the Google cars uh, on this kind of things. But it seems that what what people think is established as market is now now disrupted by by players. And even if it's small numbers, it's a number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Is this happening? Thank you. Larry Stoley, thoughts on this? Any examples you want to share with us about real disruption, even on a very small scale? And what do you think? Where is it going? Well, you know, I, I think this is all good because there are things to be learned from it. The, the interesting thing about the German Postal Service, for example, that Otto talks about here is that it's a very small, very controlled, very um, pointed, very directionally oriented exercise, if you will. They start out with a need, a goal, and they meet that goal or address, you know, the path to that goal. And and I think, you know, in that controlled environment, I think the value of it is not so much what they're doing, but what they're learning as they progress to that environment. And what can be taken from that to add to, excuse me, to the, Mm -hmm. um, to the world we live in. So, I, I'm not at all afraid of those types of things. I'm not afraid of the Googles and so on and so forth. I think they add tremendous value uh, to the greater universe of driving, if you will. I don't see them as, you know, you, one may consider them disruptive to some degree, but I'm not really sure disruption's the right word. I think providing value again to the overall greater driving community is, is what they really do. And that's that's uh, what I see coming from what Otto talked about as well. Thank you. Heather, love to get your thoughts on this. What about this disruption? Is it a good thing? Is it in the name of innovation and sustainability and creativity and design thinking? And are, are these new players here to stay? Or will they leave a lasting impression or a dent? Oh, I like that. Will they leave a dent? <laughs> a dent. <laughs> I, think they, I think they will... Um, I think only more than a dent, I, and I think it is positive. I think it's great for these disruptors and the innovation that they represent and bring with them, but I also think we don't rule out, of course, what the uh, traditional automakers are doing. If you look at GM and Ford and, and Toyota, um, they're acquiring all of these companies. They're acquiring the innovation and, and adding it to the innovation that they have inside. I mean, Toyota and GM and Ford, they all have really amazing innovation um, groups within their companies. In fact, I think several of them, at least Ford and I'm not sure about GM, are going to be rolling them out separately to be able to, again, act more as an incubator, as an innovator. And so they're taking these disruptive technologies and they're, they're acquiring them um, in order to further, you know, kind of the great, this goal of the connected car. So I think, I definitely think that um, the kind of disruptors and the, the small kind of startups, they need to exist because they can move more quickly. They aren't held back or held down by, you know, shareholders or stockholders or performance, and, and, and they're necessary. But then I also think that the ecosystem or platform companies like Ford, GM, Toyota, they are going to then acquire them or acquire the technology to be, to be able to move more quickly and, and ma- maintain competitiveness in the market. Thank you very much. Interesting perspective. And I want to move on. Let's see what time is it. We've got about, oh, eight, nine minutes till we go to our predictions round. I think we have been predicting a lot already. Quick shout out to Bill Newman at SAP, another car guy who's been tweeting and retweeting. Hello, Bill Newman. We see you here at hashtag SAP Radio. And Heather, one of your colleagues at IDC, I believe. It's uh, Lamas. It's uh, IDC. Is it T. Lamas? Do you know who that is? Maybe Thomas. He's been oh. tweeting. Excellent. 
Yes, and I see you've been tweeting, and Bill's here again, and we have Stephanie Thomas at SAP tweeting. I'm looking through, and there's a whole bunch of me. There's a, way too much of me tweeting and tweeting and tweeting here at hashtag SAP Ready. Heather, my goodness, you're almost matching me point for point here. Appreciate it. So, Larry Stoley. Yeah, it's a Twitter party. We admit that. Larry, let's talk about, we've talked about the monetization, the disruption, the value of the data, who gets to share it. Let's talk about the benefits of the data. I don't think we've, we've uh, parked in that part of the parking lot yet. I'm looking at your notes and you say, the increased use of vehicle data combined with other life data, and you quote around that, will deliver customer benefits in four areas, safety, time savings, convenience, and cost reduction. However, building and maintaining trust, and you put that all in capital letters, will be a critical capability or differentiator for automotive companies. That's a mouthful. Larry, tell us what that all means, please. Well, you know, I, I think when, when we talk about data, we talk about the things we can do with it. We have to realize that there, there are really two platforms in play here. There's the vehicle itself. And then there's this little thing called a smartphone where most personal customer data resides. And, and you know, there, there's a bit of a, a challenge between the car and the, and the smartphone, if you will, about the personal identity. Where does, where does a person's identity exist? Is it the vehicle? Is it the smartphone? And so on and so forth. So, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of discussion, a whole lot of energy experience expended in the in the trust side of this trying to make sure that everything's you know agreeable and, and aligned between the two data points the vehicle and the smartphone I think that's that's something we're going to have to come to realize I mean if, if you really think about all of this data that's coming from all the places that are there you know they, there are Cisco did a survey or a study uh, probably early 2012, late 2011, something like that. And, and they tried to put a value on the value of data coming from vehicles. And they arrived at a dollar figure. And, you know, that's kind of irrelevant because, you know, these things change. But there was, you know, there was a large piece of this dollar figure that said, hey, you know, we're going to use this data to burn less fuel, to create less emissions, to spend less or to waste less time in congestion and travel and so on. And then there was a part of that data that, uh, you know, it, it was about car insurance. It was about what Heather talked about, the dongle. How do we avoid crashes? How do we avoid associated societal costs and so on? And, you know, we're learning as we go through that. I mean, zero tolerance is not a great thing because it's just black and white and life isn't that way. But, you know, you talk about, the value to companies and the value to people, taking this data and creating a better, a more efficient, a more effective platform, if you will, with higher quality, higher safety, and so on. That's a tremendous amount of, of what we're talking about. And then there, there are all these, these ancillary profit things like parking, like tolls, like uh, location-based services. And into that goes car sharing and so on and so forth. I think we're just starting to take a great journey. You know, we started flying in 1903, and here we are in 2016, and you can't imagine, um, I mean, you really have to think back about all the things that have happened in the, the realm of flight. Those same things are going to happen to us in terms of vehicles, autonomous vehicles, the use of data coming from those vehicles. So I think we're just at the start of a, a great journey that we'll look back and say, hey, 100 years of flight took us a lot of places. 
100 years of vehicle data is going to take us even more places. So I'm kind of excited. I'm, I'm a bit apprehensive and cautious, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, I think we're on a, a road that uh, is going to take us well into the future very, very safely and very productively. I think safely is the one most people are worried about, Larry. I'd love to circle around to Heather at IDC. Heather, thoughts on what Larry just said? Let's talk about those benefits. Are they are they real? Are they palpable? Are they here? Uh, and and more. What do you think? I think the benefits are are here. Some of them that Larry already identified, but I think it's even more exciting what's to come. Um, I was. I, I had a, you know, I had to fly out of Boston Logan Airport yesterday, so I spent the usual 15 frustrating minutes driving around inside a parking garage trying to find mm-hmm. a spot so that I could make it to my flight. And if you think about monetization, I would have paid a five ten dollar premium if if they had found a spot for me, right? If there was a mm-hmm. data service that had identified that spot and saved me 10 minutes of my time. So I think if you, if you think of it in that re- respect, there are so many different ways that some of this data can be really monetized and, um, and become beneficial to everybody, you know, in terms of reducing, you know, some of the, you know, um, from an eco perspective, right? Reducing the emissions and because I get into the spot faster and freeing, up, freeing me up off the road. And, but also, again, making my time more productive. So um, I look forward to those types of opportunities. And I think that, um, I think we're on the cusp of that, you know, kind of seeing beyond just the, you know, OnStar's the best known for that, right? People paying that premium for that service, for the roadside assistance, for being able to have access in a safety manner, as, as Larry said, um, but then also some of these other productivity enhancing ways to use the data. Very interesting. I Yes, uh, convenience is getting to be for people like you, business people who are traveling, yes, of course. But sometimes for those of us who just want to go to a movie or a good restaurant, Heather, and we really can't find a parking <laughs> spot and it's blocks and blocks away, wouldn't it be nice? But how do you envision that? Would a, a, a car arrive and say, uh, Ms. Ashton, we're here, we will take your car, give us the keys, you'll find them in a lockbox at the office afterwards, and we will park your car for you? Or would they, they beam you up <laughs> literally to, Heather? third floor parking garage take a right take two lefts there's a space it's got ha heather ashton marked right on the spot for you by a a a digital beam and it's your spot go there right now what would you prefer yeah this the latter i i definitely feel that way is that they're going to there's going to be that heat map of the parking lot or the parking garage and it's going to direct me right to my spot so i don't have to even think about it I like that. I just made that up. And as I'm yeah, saying, that was really good. I like that. The that's, superimposed initials on the spot. You, you're right. I mean, you're, you're there. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm there. Heather, Larry, Otto, we got to get together. We got to disrupt this industry. We're, we're going to come up with some kind of an app. I don't know who's going to finance it, but I'll talk about it a lot. <laughs> Otto, what do you think? Would you like to have some, some digital beam have your initials on a parking spot somewhere or maybe on one of those, uh, those little mini cars that the German post office doesn't need? They'll say, Otto, we've got a great car for you and we know you like techno music. It's already playing in the car. What do you think, Otto? Is that in your future? Yeah, sure. And uh, <laughs> you know, from day one, when we when we started this, I'm open for everything. Yeah. So the, there are two items to recognize. Number one, it needs to be transparent, visible to me as a customer. On the other side, what is in for me? No? So when somebody gives me a car that I can listen to techno music, I gave him some data about me and he wants to give me something. So give me some cents <clears> or give me a coupon or give me something nice that I use this. So it's not yep. only about that, that giving the data away. Bring me something back which I, I like, yeah. And uh, 
So I'm pretty sure everybody of us gets sometimes an invite to do a, a, a satisfactionary questionnaire and mm-hmm. get something out of it. So that's why you like to do it. It can be a thank you for participating. We recognize can also be our uh, next time when you go somewhere, you get a free drink. Yeah. So give me something which I can participate and not only everybody else get uh, get monetized. I want to get be monetized also. It would be great. And if they, they sent you that free drink, Otto, and they said, we have a glass of sparkling water with not too many ice cubes, and we know how you like your coffee, and we just poured two tablespoons of the slightly sweetened coffee, very dark, into your soda, and now it's ready for you. Wouldn't that be wonderful, Otto, if they had, that drink was waiting sure, for you at be. the bar? Sure it would be, and uh, sure it would be. And then, uh, sorry again, Larry, and if I could sit in the back in an autonomous car and I could drink it during driving, it would be perfect. <laughs> Guess what? We are, Larry, I'm going to let you start because you wanted to talk. I'm going to let you start the crystal ball predictions round. I can give you each a minute. We've got about four and a half minutes left till the end of the show. So, Heather, you'll come next, but I know Larry wanted to talk, and we really are out of time. So, Larry Stoley, why don't you tell us, uh, do you like 2020? Do you like 2030 when McKinsey projected the value of the this vehicle data could be up to $1.5 trillion. How far in the future and what do you see will really, really change? Make us a, a solid prediction, Larry. 60 well, seconds, I, go. I'll make one prediction that's, that's a very, very safe prediction. You know, through this whole journey to autonomous vehicle and getting value, deriving monetization and value from the data from a connected vehicle, there's one thing that always rises to the top, and that's the person. As a, as a race of people, as, as the human race, we're all very selfish. We want, what, we want to know what's in it for us. So as we share that data and everything, we're going to be very, very focused. As, and Otto described it just a few seconds ago. You know, what's in it for me? What, what can I get out of it? I think that um, that's probably going to be the greatest single broad brush value that will come out of this data. And I don't think we'll ever really get to an end game on where the value is, how we monetize it, because people are always selfish, and, and maybe selfish is a harsh word, but you know they're, they're always looking out for, them, for themselves and so on and so forth. I think the value of what we're doing, the disruptive uh, effects of what we're talking about here, are always going to be changing. It's always going to be flowing. It's always going to be changing. And we'll never, ever really get to an end game on data. I think that's the prediction I'd make. It'll always be changing. Always be changing. Thank you, Larry. Heather Ashton, predictions. What do you see? I see the same in terms of Larry's opinion about will always be changing and growing and, and the data. I think that what we're going to see, um, you know, in five, five or ten years, as we move towards the, the semi-autonomous and autonomous vehicles, which will happen. <laughs> um, again, we can all argue about the time frame, but it will happen. And part of that will be driven by this data and how it's available. I think we're going to see uh, an increasing comfort level among consumers in terms of sharing the data as they start to see some of the benefits. Um, from sharing that data as they start to see the ways in which their lives can be made better, made easily, made easier, made safer um, by actually sharing and, and, and being, contributing to this sort of sharing culture and the sharing economy um, through, through connected car and vehicle data. So I, I, that's what I, I'm envisioning, that it's going to get easier <laughs> as, as, the, as the technology evolves and, and we, you know, kind of humans come along, along for the ride as well. Humans coming along for the ride. I like that very much. Thank you very much. And Otto Shell, last but of course not least, what do you predict? Otto, 60 seconds, please go. Yeah, 
So let's be clear. A lot of people are coming with great ideas at the moment, but I don't think that really from an end-to-end everybody works together. So it's a government, it's countries, it's OEM. So there will be a complete different kind of rules and responsibilities for what's going on. So to Heather's point and to um, also Larry's point, it will come, but what I don't see at the moment is that it comes in a way that, that really everybody talks to each other. So there's a lot of act- activism. Everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to get great ideas, but it takes us also a lot of efforts to get this ruled in a way that we have standards that can, that cars can talk to each other, that we have rules, that we have standards, how it goes into cities, into governance. So there is a kind of hectic at the moment, which is okay, but at a certain point, we need to nail this down and, and to run this really in a project, in a transparent way that everybody understands what's going on, and then we will get the buy-in, and then we will get the monetization for everybody. The cake is big enough. Thank you. And panel, I want to thank you so much. Uh, it's been delightful, insightful. Oh, I rhymed. All kinds. But I have a question for the panel. I think this is for the next episode, Larry. What's going to happen to driver's ed? If we have autonomous, what is going to happen to the driver? Heather, quickly, what do you think? Driver's ed industry going bye-bye any day soon with autonomous cars? No, I, th- I think you're gonna, it's just going to morph into teaching you how to be a good passenger, maybe. <laughs> ah, Larry, we got to build that into the next show. We have to go. Heather Ashton, Otto Shell, Larry Stoley, always a pleasure and a privilege to speak with the two, the three of you. I really learn a lot, and I know our listeners enjoy it. Thank you to all our tweeters. We had ASUG Auto. We had The View Sea Level. We had Bill Newman. We had the gentleman at IDC, Mr. Lamas. We had Heather and me and Stephanie Thomas, and it was a party. So thank you, everyone. I'll be back in one hour, hard to believe, with a live edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers talking about the end of rear view reporting. Get rid of those green eye shades and come out into the light finance department. It is time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Justin, our engineer at the Business Channel. Everybody have a great day and I'll talk to you on the Business Channel one hour from now. Have a good one and here's my call to action. How appropriate. Fasten your seatbelt, even if you're not driving. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.